Hello, everybody. I'm Zach Ferguson. The other two thumbs undecided. Okay, back. let me introduce. Let me. Okay, I am Sam Ferguson. The 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 other one. Uh, we are not related. Um, we are just related by blood. Blood. Um, yeah. But not by um, our library cards. Yeah. We do um, not share a library card. I no. will not get this man's fines on my card. I got a lot I can, of fines. I can do that on myself. Actually, here's the one upside. You know, there should be like like the positives of of the coronavirus. One positive is that if you ordered or had a lot of books um, in your uh, like, if you took out a lot of books in the library, you get to keep all those books. You do. You do without being fined, um, because why? Why can't like nobody's nobody's allowed to be in the library? Uh, now the sucky thing is, I rented out a um, oh shoot, a mellophone or like some cool uh, instrument uh, from the library that's like was on a huge wait list. I'm the one who has it, and I was just about to have to like turn it in on the Monday that we were shut down thing is is i left this uh this the uh, the theremin theremin i left the, <laughs> the problem is is i left the theremin at the office which is now guarded why did you leave the theremin at why anything sam why this happened why so did you bring the theremin to work i had other stuff that i always said like oh, oh here's the thing i don't have a car so i have to walk home so I had to walk home with the theremin and I have a backpack and I, I was like, I have other things I need to do besides play this theremin. Now I have all the time in the world to play this theremin, but I can't get my theremin. This is I, the first time hearing about this folks. I feel really? like this is something that you would have brought up. Oh, I thought I've talked about, maybe I've you talked didn't about talk it. about your theremin, which is something pretty cool about the Pittsburgh library is you can get a theremin, you can rent out a theremin. Um, which the New York Library I have not heard about. Well, that um, yeah, it's a really cool thing, um, but I just it stinks that it's it's within arm's reach. I just have to have like five different people sign off for me to just grab this one thing. But as a living human being, I could uh, have the virus for some. Anyways, reason. speaking about theremins and you know. Uh, it's it's the type of media. It's a type of it's a way of communicating oneself is through the through, theremin. Uh, through sound we are waves. a media show. We talk about mostly about movies, but we talk about TV. We talk about we haven't really talked about music at all. We should do a music episode at some point. Yeah, you start. Oh, I'm by the really way, getting into what? Um, we had uh, a fan of ours, uh, uh, Tom Seifert who's a, a, a an actual friend of mine, he listened to last week's uh, radio show and said that you turned him on to uh, Fiona Apple. And he just wanted to say thank you to you. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I'm glad I think, to hear that. I honestly think the one response that we've had... <laughs> no one cares uh, about our movie records. Yeah, just... because we're still all over the place. The one I time... Do... Go yeah, ahead. it's about music. So maybe we I should do... do a music one. I do think when you recommend music... From my perspective, I feel like when someone recommends music to me, I'm a little bit more prone to be like, okay, because what do you have to lose? Like, you're just losing like two minutes of your life. So you're just like, you know, I'll listen to this song this person recommends. And then, you know, you might listen. It's, it's, it's so easy to listen to a song when someone recommends a movie. It's like, okay, 
now I'm definitely not going to watch that. That's a commitment. It's a commitment. Um, so I get that. The song I've been listening, well, we'll say that to the end. Um, but how we always begin, for those who, uh, first off, a little bit of news that I think you guys should, uh, about ourselves, that I think we should always bring up. Number one, we have a Patreon account, um, which we launched like two weeks ago. Um, check that out. It's on our Instagram. I think it's on our Twitter. Uh, it's on our website. Uh, any and all donations. Um, whenever the most of that money is really just going to be going to whenever this horrible curse lifts from us, uh, we're going to hopefully start going back to film festivals. And so far, it's been a hundred percent out of our pocket. And let me tell you, it is expensive. So that's where that money is going. So check that out. Yeah, I could just um, see like once the uh, quarantine is lifted, they're going to be like the the guy. The person who like runs all the festivals, like, good, get me on the phone. With who? The Ferguson brothers. <laughs> and then get them to those festivals. The Cannes, they, Cannes, Festival, Cannes Film Festival is doing something virtually. I think, isn't Sundance or one of the, uh, not Sundance, but there, I think a New York Film Festival is going uh, uh, viral or like whatever. The... I think everyone basically is, but uh, Can is in. Um, I'm reading the Hollywood Reporter, so who knows the truth? But, I but it, it's saying there's an online. Um, everything's in March. Do film will run June 22nd to 26th and will be hosted on the film industry platform. I just don't understand Sinando. why film uh, festivals don't need to like end. The virtual world is um, like you send out a little link that you, know, you got to have a password uh, for. And I imagine for people like you and I, uh, the festivals maybe cost a little less to get into. I mean, Sundance, heck, we could have done Sundance, but we would have had to done room and board and, and, and yeah. travel. It was a whole thing, which I understand is how they get their bread and butter. But we live in a new uh, time right now. So perhaps people like you and I who don't have the capital could... Um, well, I mean, this is just talking about the, the can market, um, which is different from the film festival. Uh, this is a little bit more of people just going to can and selling. It's not like an actual, you know, they're not actually sh showing these movies. Um, but I mean, a lot of film festivals are adapting. Um, when is the you know, it's uh, case cans? by case? When is the cans? When is it? Yeah, when is it? What I'm talking right? about is, Mar I mean, this is something that people wouldn't even be going to. This is something that um, is mostly just for ins like, uh, like institutions, like selling films. But this is March, uh, the, the, done, baby. The, ver the, film fest the film market is June 22nd to 26th. Okay. I don't know if there's any plans yet for, um, if... I think it's still up in the air um, about the film festival itself. Fun fact, uh, everybody, Sam's birthday is going, well, it's a month oh. or so away. Wait, wait, this is what I was talking about. Um, with, oh, there, there's a uh, YouTube is going to host a virtual film festival with selections from Cannes, Toronto, and more. Um, 20 film festivals from around the world are coming together for a virtual experience. I want to so be a part of that. that's going to be happening. Um, it's going to be an upcoming 10-day digital event from May 29th, May 29th. Um, to June 7th. Okay. So, I don't know. 
I'm excited. Um, well, hey, like I said, it can't be. I, I couldn't imagine tickets are like $500, which is what we had to uh, do. And I just got paid today. And I got to say this whole, like I've said before, this quarantine thing, though it stinks, I am saving a well, Zach, you spend so much money on eating out. Like, it's ridiculous. Well, I still eat out. That's the thing. I still eat out. But somehow I'm saving. I must. You know what it is? Comic books have stopped distributing. So I can't buy any comics. But I don't buy. I buy like $20 worth of comics a week. That can't. That can't possibly be. Also, I think I just get fined for living in the world. Like, I get fined for overdue books or do this. So, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going to have to get my accountant to figure it out. But life is, well, life is dull. All right. Anyways, enough about Zach time. All right. Uh, yes, it's about the world time. So, film so news. That I mean, we were getting I guess, into film news. I guess that What's was something film? that you were you wanted to talk about? Well, I, I thought this was interesting. Um, you you probably saw the uh, article, Sam. But uh, so AMC Theaters refuses to play Universal films now in the wake of Trolls uh, colon World Tour. So apparently, this the sequel to Trolls, featuring uh, some you know Justin Timberlake. Uh, Trolls World Tour was featured on uh, I guess their streaming site. And this movie made, I think, five times more than Trolls 1 made in five months. So in like five weeks, Trolls World Tour made more money on the internet than it did when it was in theaters. So now AMC is like, how dare you? You're killing us. So they are not doing uh, Universal films anymore. Wow. Because of the new age. Yeah, the threat came after comments made by NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schell regarding the on-demand success of the family film and what that means for the future. Oh boy! So theaters. I didn't see this. Theater. It's like saying, like, how dare you? You know, take money away from us just because you know. Yeah. So you know, this is enough. I don't know if they can really. Uh... Yeah. I'm seeing more and more things about uh, the there's there's an article from Vulture saying Regal Cinemas is issuing a warning to any movie studio considering to pivot to VOD. Um, which I guess this whole virus is now kind of showing. But who thought? Who I mean, this was that... this was not a new con. I mean, obviously, like no, but like now it now because it's the norm. It's like hold on, a, it's like we're realizing we really truly do not need to be in public places and it's better like it's but it after the coronavirus i don't know maybe there will be a explosion of like i need i mean you see on twitter people are always like i miss movie theaters everybody's saying that yeah you know my i mean here here's my stance on this you know my stance sam i don't like going to the theaters because people are annoying and i would say not at one tenth, maybe two tenths of people in the theaters are horrible theater goers. They talk, they chew too loudly, they laugh at inappropriate spots. Um, but that doesn't mean I want the theater experience to be dead. But you know, the coronavirus not only is killing people, it's killing 
whole industries. Yeah. And then there's people like Christopher Nolan. Here's an IndieWire um, article that's talking about how Christopher Nolan is working harder than anyone to get theaters open, says IMAX CEO. Um, so there's it. people like, there's people who are really trying to have theaters um, By the way, remain I open. I see. Like, uh, not remain open, but to, to um, uh, <laughs> what? No, sorry. Um, it's something I want to talk about after this real quick, but uh, I, I could see an onion article on Christopher that where it shows like Christopher Nolan is building his own theaters and it's like him in a like a hard hat like building a theater in his back porch or something but um somebody who I I Sam and I talked off screen or off podcast about who's really reacting to the world in a really weird way is uh, Elon Musk Oh my deal. That guy is slowly losing his mind. That guy. And it just kind so, of nice. Here's <clears> the thing. <throat> Donald Trump, whenever he tweets, it's like super like angry and just there's no joy to it at all. There's no air of whatever. Elon Musk recently tweeted, Rage, comma, rage against the dying of the light of consciousness. See, that just sounds like the babbling of a mat, like a scientist. Uh, a scientist gone mad. Donald Trump's is more like money, me, mon- money, open America. Yeah. And then they're it's all misspelled. It's both types of stupidity. Like one is, one is a crazy you know, well, one. It, well, one I'm talking about Trump is, is just, it's just <laughs> I mean, he's an idiot. And then the other one who just doesn't know how to speak besides no, like, but- small words and wait, hold on. And then the other one, uh, Elon Musk. I mean, he's he's. I mean, he is a genius. Like he is a he's. I would say he's a genius. But like he is still human. Yeah. And this is his way of making full. And he. This is not new as well. Like like he did the whole Twitter thing where he got high or he was on LSD or something. Well, he understands something that like really like fucked up the the whole entire. We're not something happened with the stock. Like he lost a lot of money by I forget exactly what he said. He said something about like he was going to invest in something or something that messed with the whole stocks of and then he got and now he's not the he's he's either not the president anymore or he's not the CEO anymore. By the way, I didn't know this, but someone I thought you told me that his girlfriend dumped uh uh, Grimey's or whatever. They got back together. Well, apparently they are. He said, "My girlfriend Grimey's is mad at me." Oh really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Good. See, I was. By the way, folks, before this, I was a little bit in, down in the dumps, uh, sitting in my sad corner, uh, just because you know. Apparently, Pittsburgh is stuck in quarantine for the next three weeks or something, but. This is looking at Elon Musk tweets are actually kind of making they're just one sentence weirdness. Yeah, because it started out with him. Um, it made me kind of sad at first because when he first started tweeting, it was like it just seemed very like very Republican, and he would just be like liberate you know liberate America. Liberate I'll say England. this like, now: all these things. Well, Zach, oh, so let me sorry. finish sentence. Oh, I'm gonna go sad. <sighs> all right. So a lot of things like he would begin by saying like liberate America, liberate all this stuff. And then he would, he like retweeted some, or he tweeted something about um, how like actual, the actual um, hospitals in California versus what was predicted. And 
I mean, he showed his his source and thing, and then I guess the the website crashed. But it was making me kind of sad because I felt like he's a smart like he was he was coming at it from this like maybe he is right about something like maybe there is something but now he's just like more and more information is coming out and he just keeps going on and on and it's becoming so obvious that this is just his like it's starting to affect him and he doesn't like the idea to stop so he's kind of like getting really pissed off he doesn't care about other people i disagree just, I he I... Like he doesn't want to have anything in the way. Sorry, I, I, mean, I think we're getting. I think we're getting into. Uh, you brought this up. I I brought up Elon Musk because he in himself right now is media because he is a. Here's the thing, Elon Musk, and he knows it is a living meme. Don, in this other sense of a crazy person, Donald Trump doesn't understand how to do memes. He just accidentally does it. Yeah, but these are both real people with real effects on the world. Yes, but I it's think Elon Musk knows what he's like what he's saying i, I don't I, I think well i think he knows what he's saying i'm just well, I think what he, he is I saying think he is knows, harmful i think really is it yes because he Give has me. like a lot of like a lot of people look up to what he says and stuff and it's the same mentality of like you know trump it doesn't matter what he's saying it's just it's what like what that, he means it's like that's not what no, i, I said have, have you seen effects of his tweets being bad he, no but he's it is in general just spreading this idea that like that it's it's the government isn't in, in the wrong and i think it is damaging because it's spreading misinformation well it's not it's it's an opinion that is not scientifically sound you know yeah. i wonder why somebody who is of this well never mind i guess it goes back to the thing about business but um it would well, be anyways, to hear his TED talk. I'll tell you. I want to. I want to hear a conversation with him. I don't want to see his tweets. I want to see him talk about. That. Well, I heard. I actually did hear him say that. The but whole it, thing about being a fascist. Yes, but it yeah. was not a conversation. It wasn't. It was just him being pissed off. Yeah, because of Which, his business. Um. So, anyways. By the so way, that, every, that was news. Everybody, I am um, before this quarantine. Um, I was starting a. Uh, a baking serve uh, service and uh, that business um, has gone bust. I can't sell my cupcakes to anybody anymore. That's another secret. So I feel, I feel Elon Musk's uh, pain. Uh, mm. I can't sell my, uh, my cupcakes to people anymore. So. Well, businesses come and go, but do you know what stays 90s kids <laughs> 90s nostalgia yeah <laughs> um sam we're already deep into this episode so let's get this out of the so let's, just let's to give everybody an update so sam i guess uh stumbled sam watched uh sam's a big fan of jonah hill uh and uh he saw that he made a movie called mid 90s and it was an oh. indie film and so sam uh wanted to talk about indie See, films. See, I wish we had more time to talk about this because now we only, well, we have like 35 minutes or something. Yeah, we have enough time. I guess. This is just the topic that's really fascinating to me because not what Zach just said. Um, no and. Because um, <laughs> I'm not going to entertain the idea of, well, Jonah Hill's fine. Uh, he's a good actor, but. I understand that no and. But, um. I do think it is it's something I didn't realize when mid nineties came out is it, 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 it really, there was like a time period in, in nineties 
in which it wasn't just like these skater like I think a lot of people think like 90s like skaters Tony Hawk um I don't know but the there's a lot of indie cinema that is more there's more to do with just what mid 90s was kind of referencing of course that is a lot of or that that, that, that there's a portion of like uh, of 90s filmmaking but there was like this whole culture of 90s indie filmmaking that doesn't really exist anymore um i don't know exactly when that kind of faded away um but i mean the big names you have obviously uh like pt anderson and um you know tarantino and um what's, what's another one uh, richard linklater uh, darren, richard linklater darren like uh, the, aronofsky i don't even wes think anderson in a sense wes anderson as well wes anderson's perfect example all of these directors now who are like I wouldn't maybe have just peaked or like are peaking come from the night, like are coming from the, the, the nineties really. Um, and they all started having these movies where they, they like masked, like maybe max it's like a million dollars or $1.2 million. And like some of the films, like one of the ones Christopher Nolan's film following, which came out in 1998, yeah. was six thousand dollars um have you seen that <clears throat> i have it wasn't i mean i don't really like christopher nolan that much so it was a lot of uh you know time messing around with time which i don't really enjoy too much but i think um, it's just you know sometimes these guys grow like you know it's weird is richard uh richard linklater i would say is a very much a darling of the 90s uh you have before sunrise days and views slacker um, all that jazz, but now he's making movies with aged uh, other act. Like he, his movies, are, he's he's growing up, and I don't know if um, some directors can't stand the test of time. Other people can, but uh, it yeah, seem, his he doesn't have a he doesn't have the same voice, and yeah, but uh, there's nothing wrong with that. The the film slacker, I think, is is kind of one of the first types of these movies because that movie was made for $23,000. Um, and it was this kind of raw filmmaking, which of course, indie films were around before the nineties, the nineties, it was, there was nothing. Indie had been a thing for a while uh, in the seventies, even, I mean, in the fifties you had um, what's his, what's his name? Uh, John Cassavetes, hmm. the father of indie of american indie films yeah um though i always feel like there's probably somebody else behind him who was more indie or something yeah if we were talking to uh if we were talking to our guest last year i mean not last year last time uh um penelope bartlett she would probably tell us like actually there was this german person in the 1920s who blah blah yeah i mean the Internet, like internationally, I feel like a lot of things start in other countries first and then move to America. But I we do just... think in the ni- in the 90s, what was different was filmmaking. It had never been this cheap before. Like there was like the, a lot of people were able, like the filmmaking process had changed so much that you could make a film for $6,000. Like you couldn't really do that in the 80s. Um, and also, I think there is more of a 
of an attention of just making things as naturalistic as possible of really just getting a camera and just walking around like the the film another film from the 90s the kids which is kind of what made me get thinking about this more and more which i think is that movie is kind of the sort of movie that mid 90s is trying to emulate like a bunch of skateboarders um oh yeah did you have you seen kids oh i i loved it i watched it yeah um is it it, how raunchy is it i mean it's not that raunchy the thing it's hard to say like today in today's standards like what is wrong like well i'm talking it's not porn it's well okay okay. the ending is kind of is a little bit nuts but um it's nothing worse than anything from game of thrones like it's like Mm. it's it's well, that's the thing about the 90s movie. So I think the the reason why 90s is like its own, 90s indie is its own kind of genre is I think 90s is when people were really able to, you know, that's when VHS was becoming more of a thing yeah. and people could make more movies easier and they didn't have to develop it or it was easier to make. So people had access. It was like the first time people really truly had access to cheap, cheap, um, equipment and mm-hmm. um uh, what was i say? oh yeah people like the guy who made kids which i forget his harmony name. cream yeah it's it harmony cream and um, somebody else you like he just like took a vhs camera and made it look like a like a home movie but instead it was a narrative film and that was shot on 16 millimeter though really well that's so. that's why another reason why i made like i don't understand Maybe maybe film just became cheaper because Clerks, uh, the uh, Clerks was also done on film, and had to be processed. Uh, but that has like a total amateur thing. I think it was like the first time where everyday schmoes realized they didn't need, um, like oh gather, a gathering of people realized that they could do this. Yeah. I mean, you had people in the eighties who did horror films like Sam Raimi who were like, hey, we could do this. It made a profit, um, but I think companies like Miramax, unfortunately, uh, to say the least, and other companies like that, uh, opened the way for these kind of films to be done. Yeah, and I think there's also this in the '90s. There's a little bit more of a separation between like old filmmaking styles, like Sam Raimi and the Coen Brothers. Um, trying to think of like other 80s indie um they had like this this it was still very stylized and they still like they went to school for film they still um had a attachment to how films were in like the 60s and 70s in the 90s a lot of these filmmakers didn't go to film school they just picked up a camera and just started filming um and a great example of that is spike jones like spike jones he didn't go to film school. He just started making music videos. Mm-hmm. And he, he didn't really start making, like his first feature was uh, being John Malkovich. Oh, yeah. Being John Malkovich, which came out in 1999, which is kind of the tail end of the 90s. But um, it was a time in which I feel like these directors that were coming up were, I don't even think Linklater, did he go to school? Yes, he did. He went to school in, um, in Texas. Oh, did you go to Austin? Uh, um, so, yeah. But a lot of these filmmakers, I think that they, they just started 
filming because now they literally could go out with their they could start making little shorts on their feet like one of the, the story of how harmony cream got the film made was he just shot some short film on like vhs and was just walking around washington square park and then ran into um the director larry clark and he was just handing out these copies with like his phone number on it to anybody he recognized and so he handed like i guess he recognized larry clark i think he was he wasn't a director at that point he was like just some artist wait who are you talking about oh harmony kareem oh and he was he was like 19 at this point he was just handing out these things and he handed out to larry clark Larry Clark got it and watched it and then said, Hey, come over. Yeah. Larry house. Clark, I, I think this. was like 30 something years old. Like he was an older man. Yeah. Um, and everyone has like their own kind of story. I mean, Robert Rodriguez, another director from the nineties. Um, he is the classic. He wrote a whole book story. on the whole situation. Uh, what's it called? It's called, um, uh, a rebel without, uh, uh rebel, rebel without, without a camera. Rebel yeah. Without a Film Crew or something? Yeah, that I have I the book. It. But it's all about it's his diary of how he how he raised his money by getting like participating in in like psych exams or something or Yeah, he was a guinea pig, a science guinea a, pig. Yeah, and they like peeled his skin off or something. It oh. was like it was it he still has these scars and stuff, but it, but he raised $5,000 or something for his film uh, El Mariachi, which let me look I think that was like ten thousand dollars. But all these guys, seven thousand. It was seven thousand dollars to make this film. My question um, is: Is I, how did I, I always wonder how Quentin Tarantino got the money to do uh, Reservoir Dogs? That was one point two million. So it was. That's not the kind of money you just raise. No, um, I mean, the thing is, is I I look at the I I Quentin Tarantino. I guess was. I mean, he's an he was an indie filmmaker with Reservoir Dogs. That was kind of like the poster. Ch- That's the stereotypical like college yeah. kid, uh, like uh, the Pulp Fiction '90s, like cop out film to yeah. that. And, that and Clerks, but you know, Clerks. These are all cult classics in there because of why they were made or how they were made. Um, but I see Reservoir Dogs, and it's just so weird. He got Harvey Cattell to be in it. To me. That's that's not the kind of nineties that like stuff like dazed and confused. That was just how did that even happen in the sense? Yeah. That- so I'm I'm looking at this stuff, and dazed and confused. You actually brought that up. He had a uh, that came out in ninety five, and that started Noah Baumbach's career. Oh. Or sorry, not dazed and confused. I was thinking of kicking and screaming. Um, dazed and confused. When was that? That Amazing was... Confused in 1995, baby. Okay. Um, well, at that point, he'd already made Slacker. Slacker was, I mean, that got him, that was premiering, that was at film festivals and things. like. And that's the other thing as, as well with the 90s. And that's 93, also what, sorry, 93 was Dazed and Confused. That's also what set it apart from, um, from, other, from other decades before. I think probably the, one of the biggest things is film festivals started becoming a thing. Like Sundance started in like the late 80s but it started getting more and more traction in the 90s um and film festivals became a major way of films getting noticed and that really wasn't a thing in the 80s like it was all like you just had to have some kind of deal with some distribution company or some indie film company um or or i mean there were still film film festivals going on 
um but also i i feel like the um the mppa or mpaa was like trying to be pushed to like the fullest extent you have movies like (laughs) bad lieutenant uh which got the uh the nc-17 rating um but it was considered an indie film uh but you didn't really have films like that in the 80s you know they would just be deemed as porn so I think things were like loosening up a bit. So uh, the, I just the but you were talking about how these films get made, um, and the uh, what's it called? Um, Reservoir Dogs got made. I didn't even know this. He was planning on shooting, um, this film Reservoir Dogs for thirty thousand dollars with his and his the producer was going to be uh, Lawrence Bender was going to play Mr. Pink. But then Bender, I guess, was friends with Harvey Keitel. And then Harvey Keitel saw the script and agreed to co-produce. And same thing with Kicking and Screaming, um, in which Noah Baumbach had a friend, something Bloom, uh, who eventually went on to make Bloom Bloomhouse Productions. Oh, um, really? That's cool. Yeah. Uh, he is a friend of Steve Martin. And Steve, or he, he's like a family connection with Steve Martin, and Steve Martin like signed off on the script and like liked the script for Kicking and Screaming. So a lot of these films, not all of them, but a lot of these films uh, did have some kind of backing with just connections. Um, but not all of them. Like I mean, definitely, I don't think Slack, like Slacker, was not didn't have any real connections. Um, this was also not his first feature. Like he, like this was not his first feature. He'd been doing this for a little bit now. Um, what's well, another film? I mean, yeah. Uh, then you have like the oh, actually, something that I I remember uh, talking about uh, a while ago is uh, this movie called Welcome to the Dollhouse by Todd Schlesinger. Mm-hmm. Hold on a second. Um, that movie, which came out in nine, that was ninety five. I love that movie. That's a really fun coming of age movie. Uh, to, uh, Todd Sol and S O L O N D Z Sol on Z. Um, what is this movie called again? It's called Welcome to the Dollhouse. But this guy has made uh, some pretty messed up movies in the 90s uh i believe he did he did this movie called happiness which also was um let me see if that was in the 90s that could have been yeah 90 98 and you know they 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 were once again just kind of this these indie darlings that were very much uh ruffling the feathers of what you could and couldn't do and who with you know philip Mm -hmm. seymour hoffman was starting anew and there was different approaches to the way things were done the the way you know you did have the 80s which had its own you know genre uh but 90s just it felt like like kids i don't know like it, it well not kids the movie but it felt like there wasn't a true people people were referencing stuff but it seemed like it was a world of rebels they're like okay the hippies the hippies failed. Now mm-hmm. we're the new generation. We're the kids who uh, understand, you know, we're the college kind of, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, internet was now a thing. 
So I more that was a thing in the nineties. What? It wasn't a thing in the nineties. Internet? Yeah, I mean it was starting to come up. Yeah, but it wasn't a you know, the dot com like boom wasn't until like the turn of the century. It was more but I, I see what you're saying. Like you know, the richer the, kids had the had Yeah, the but next. it was like it was a changing of the guards. Because I think every 20 or so years, there's a new change. Like, it's a new generation. Like, 70s and 80s were kind of, like, the, the 70s kids, like, when kids were, seven, or, uh, when directors started becoming big in the 70s, they remained big throughout the 80s and probably cast some kind of shadow on, uh, on kids from the 80s because they were had such a giant shadow, but they started off with their indie world of the 70s. And like 70s indie, I think, was is more indie than what 80s indie was. And then I think after that period of time, like once that generation starts to get old and much more of an institutionalized, then a new like generation comes up. And that's what the 90s was. Is now, now we're the kids. Oh, but this was a time in which there were so many things that were changing. Not really, I don't think internet really played much. Maybe that's with our generation, but it was more so film festivals and just how cheaply you can make this stuff. No, I know we're trying to- But like talking about film festivals, oh, sorry, go ahead. I I know we were talking about the 90s, but we can't help but think about the future a little bit. I mean, our generation, when it comes to, now there's just 90s, I think paved our way for what, like our filmmakers. Mm -hmm. Now everybody, Every anybody can make a a movie, and really, it's like okay, whose movie sounds the most marketable? So it almost yeah. feels like it, it's devoid of soul. Everything seemed probably new to an, a certain extent, and who yeah. you knew. now? I almost feel like this is like the apocalypse of filmmaking. Everything we knew is like out the window. So there's gonna be a whole there's gonna be a whole generation change of movie making after this coronavirus i mean movies are being put on hold i just feel like there's a gap um and by the way there is a funny quote by hannibal burris on the eric andre show that was like a joke within the joke but he was like saying like like he he's like you know the the film company should just stop making movies for like a year just so like i could catch up on all the movies that are happening and, and then, you know, like then start up again. And mm-hmm. in a way that's like for us, like there's mm-hmm. now a, there's a gap a, a year or like whoever knows how long, six months. Yeah. Gap. But it's not just with, I mean, you're thinking about it with the coronavirus. I'm well, there was no room thinking to about, breathe. I think because I'm, of the nineties films there, there was like a ramp up, a, like a, an infectious disease of kids who are like, wait a second. This kid from Texas can do this. I can do this. And then someone's like, if that bum over there thinks that he can make a film, I can make a film. And but it's now like, it's not right. just like, but the thing is, is like in the 90s, you still had to have a lot of, pat. like you had to have a camera, you had to have someone develop it. You had to like have some kind of people in the know of how to make these things. Now, I'm not even thinking about the coronavirus, honestly. I'm just thinking even before this coronavirus happened, our generation was, it's just everyone can shoot. Like, it's just, it's hard to, and there's so many film festivals now. Like in the past, like there was just, you know, there was, there was sure there was like your indie film festivals outside of Sunday and like smaller ones, more local ones. But now there's like so many 
so many film festivals and everyone has some kind of film festival and it's it's just things are so diluted now it's just hard to the the idea of getting big from one short like i mean wes anderson he was like the ideal person of coming out of sundance he submits a, a short to sundance gets into sundance immediately people are like coming at him being like we want you to make a feature and we're gonna give you like three two million dollars to make it okay can i go up bottle rockets yeah sure whatever yeah whatever and then and then that movie doesn't even do too well and he still has the trajectory to like that is not really happening right now because there's just way too much well and here's the other thing people don't really even care about I, 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 there's a whole generation not even caring about films they're obsessed with the youtube youtube is yeah. a genre there was no youtube beforehand youtube is like they're they're like little short films so and i've talked this is something i always am interested in is like it you know spike jones is considered to be a fan like a fantastic director he's like in the zeitgeist of of film directors uh, but he started off in music videos and vi- mm-hmm. music videos was considered just i feel like for a long time people consider them just you know a bunch of it's just a, a way to see your favorite bands play mm-hmm. and then people like him and the guy who uh, did internal spotlight of the endless internal internal spotlight of this in, i can Spotless never fine thank you uh like that guy also was a music uh a music video director mm-hmm. but they made it an art so i'm wondering who out there like i haven't heard of any people who started off making youtube videos like that's how they made their bread and butter and then all of a sudden we're like oh let's do let's do movies like i have mm-hmm. a vision for movies i just feel I mean, like kind of well, no, never mind. I was gonna. Who are you gonna say? I was gonna say Casey Neistat, but it was kind of the reverse. He started doing movies and then he moved to YouTube. It's just a whole but. other world. But I feel like maybe there is a way to. There is a bridge. It just hasn't. Yeah. Been, it, hasn't there, been there is a bridge, but there hasn't been a Phoebe Waller to connect it. <laughs> Thank also, you. I do wanna. I wanna point out um, one thing that I, I do think has gotten like. Because I think, you know, comparing with the 90s, things are a little bit different now. There is an oversaturation. But one thing that is definitely better than the 90s is just representation in general. Um, there oh, was a today? great, yeah, there was yes. a great New York Times article called. Um, Send it to me. They, they set up, they set us up to fail black directors of the 90s speak out. And it's really fascinating because you think about Spike Lee was kind of the poster child of like black um, that and John Singleton. Oh, Spike Lee. Uh, for a second, I'm like, Spike Jones. Yeah, no, Spike Lee. They were like the Spike, mostly Spike Lee, I feel like was the poster child of like black cinema in um, that guy in, uh, in the 90s. I mean, that the... film came out, wait, Zach, let me finish. That film came out in like 89, um, but it was still kind of part of the 90s. And this whole article just talks about how there were so many other directors who had one film and then producers just sign them to like be part of their company just to have like they like one producer was like now we have our black director we don't need to have any others like it was just like you have one and then that's it and well, just like what happened to these people's careers afterwards because they got no they did they weren't as famous as Spike Lee so they got no money 
they just got the one film and then that was it. Well, you have uh, the guy who did uh, Boys in the Hood. That's kind of the other. Yeah, John Singleton. Yeah. Um, and... But then, uh, yeah, that that is something that's a beautiful thing. now uh, Nowadays, it is the there is such a diversity in filmmakers. I mean... Heck, women directors. The only one I can know, uh, I can, I personally can. Maybe this is my fault, but like, is um, um, uh, uh, Bigelow, Kate Bigelow. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow, and then also uh, a woman who did Gas Lodge and and food, fooding or something. Um, there there are some uh, women uh, directors in the '90s, but you know. There are, it's, I mean, there, there's no real indie um, women directors. They were more. Well, there are, but they're not as, they're not as commercially. Yeah. There's Nora Ephron. She was a big, I mean, she directed uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Um, There's. uh, Would you consider American Psycho an indie film? That's an, that's a, that's a good one. Who did that again? Uh, Shoot. I need a. Um. Uh, that was um, oh, and then my one of my favorites. She wasn't a it was, she was a documentarian that went on to do '90s comedy. But uh, uh, the woman who did uh, Wayne's World and Wayne's oh, World yeah. Two, I I I'm, I was, I consider her. What's to her be, name? Uh, Penelope. It's Penelope something. But she showed up. She's done you know Wayne's World Two, Wayne's World One, Black Sheep, which is a. Uh, Chris Farley. It's Penelope Spheres. Yeah. But her document uh, documentary on uh, on punk rock in the 80s is pretty good. A- uh, oh. Mary Harmon is the director of American Psycho. Yeah. Uh, but that's, she also did that's a, 2000. She, yeah, that's close enough. She also did a, a movie called I Shot Andy Warhol. Oh. Which I've been wanting to watch. That's um, on the cult classic-y yeah spectrum she's 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 a good example i think of of maybe um a woman from the 90s who kind of was making some indie things Hmm. um because i I would consider 2000 it's close enough to be still it's on the brink yeah um yeah and i another reason that, that this topic is i started thinking about this topic is i was watching on the criterion channel um uh what's his name Ronald Bronstein was talking about his making of Frownland, which I talked about earlier, and that came out in 2007. But it started shooting in like late two, in like early 2000, like 2001. And he was talking about how like when he was in college, like in the 90s, like this was the mindset that like you make a short and you can turn into like one of these people, especially if you're a white man. Um, like it, it, it comes off looking so easy because you just you just need five thousand, six thousand dollars, and you can make, you can make a short that, or even a feature that, like, you know, it's not about being polished as much in the '90s. In the '90s, it was just it was all about looking kind of cruddy, but like just being raw and like shaky cam, which I know you love. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I love shaky cam. Let's see, that that and mockumentary film uh, horror films are so great. Anyways, what are you uh, what are you watching? Uh, what am I watching? Do you have anything else to talk about with the '90s indie? 
I think it was a beautiful time that uh, we're in a new time and I look forward to uh, the next, we are definitely in the next uh, bit of filmmaking and filmmakers. And mm-hmm. I, I really hope that out of coming out of this are people who aren't super rich, you know, making film. I feel like the only people who, like who are able to make these indie films are people who have uh, a crap ton of money. Yeah. I think right now the film is, it's you have to the look is still very polished like that you you have to like making a good film it has to look polished you have to have someone who is famous somehow or like starting to become famous in the 90s that was not really like it was all about you had raw it was just like yeah it was like story and like oh this guy is like me Mm -hmm. you know but now that our cameras are so good there's not it's gotta look sleek yeah so I mean, I love the, the, the campy, I love the cult classic-y stuff. I, I find myself going towards all the really campy films on Criterion Channel, more so than, say, Solaris or Modern Times. I um, find myself, like, enjoying directors' first films now. Like, I'm, I'm enjoying, like, Bookie Nights more so than, you know... Uh, phantom thread or master i do love there will be blood though but like i'm liking all of these people's films like their early film like richard um like slacker i still think is one of Linklater's best films if not his best film i still haven't Um, finished that carmony cream i mean he didn't direct kids but he was like writing wise it was i think it was it's better than anything else i've i've seen um Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson is definitely someone who's like gone off the rails. Like, I love like, him so. It, it, I, I'm so excited to see French Dispatch. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. Is like he is. I I am not excited to see French Dispatch. It just I, feels like his his style is just become too much of a character of or a character of himself. I and like, did not. And I thought Isle of Dogs was mediocre. Was bad. And I did not like Grand Budapest Hotel. I loved Grand Budapest Hotel. Right. And I think if you if you don't like Grand Budapest Hotel, then you probably won't like French Dispatch because I think I know. French Dispatch is going to be very much on the same scale as um, Grand Budapest. It All is. right. So what are you what are you watching? Um, I watched a movie the other night called uh, Taste of Cherry. It's an Iranian film, and it's about it's in the nineties. And it's about a man trying to find somebody to bury him underneath a cherry tree uh, um, after he's committed suicide. So, like, he's trying to find somebody. Like, it's a whole thing, but but it's the essence of, like, him picking up a young person and the person's, like, scared of him. And then there's another person who's a priest telling him it's wrong. And then he picks up an old person who gives him who an old person who also tried to commit suicide and telling him like um i won't tell you how it ends but it's an interesting movie i don't i think there are other movies you could i would recommend it but i think there are other movies that i would probably watch before it i also watched in a i watched in another iranian film called um uh this is not a film oh it's direct well it's it's Javier Pani Pani Pani, who is a 
famous um he's like a famous Iranian filmmaker um he's been making films uh since 1980 um or no sorry not since 1980 he's been making films for a while now um and he was sentenced uh, like the government he made a film that the government said you can't you can't make that film you're now under house arrest and so it's a one hour ish like a one hour and 10 minute film um, but all just of him being inside of his house trying to explain his movie but also the world like just it's very um it's very kind of what we were talking about just very raw of him just like recording what's going on around him and it's being recorded by some other documentarian who's just making a documentary but they're like friends but it's very like random like he, he has like this pet lizard like it's a giant lizard mm. i don't know what it's called but it's like one of those giant lizards it's like smaller than like a komodo dragon but bigger than um like a, a chameleon or something um and it's just him kind of just going about his day and it's just like but trying to talk about what fascinates him about film and it was really incredible uh, it's on the Criterion channel. They just brought it. I talked about it to P Penelope when she was on. I said I thanked her for putting it on the Criterion channel. Um, she was humbled. And um, what's uh, yeah. what's on your viewing block uh, for tonight on this? You know, Sunday I don't know. Um, I was gonna watch Paths of Glory last night, but then Olivia, my girlfriend, wanted to watch Columbo. Really? She wanted to watch Columbo. She likes Columbo. Wow, I'm loving it. I'm yeah, loving it. she. We watched the episode with the wine guy. The winery. Oh, that's such a. It's um the guy. He's the uh, forget his name, but he was um he was the doctor from uh, Halloween. Oh he was, yeah. He was also uh the main bad guy, like the stereotypical bad guy from the James Bond movie with the with the eye. That guy is a real. That's so funny. Oh, I, Donald first thing, Donald Pleasant uh, Pleasance. The first thing I was thinking of is he was from The Great Escape. Oh yeah, exactly. But I, I love that's the only episode that I know of where Columbo and the bad guy are kind of friends. Yeah. Like, usually the bad guy is always like, "You're such an idiot, Columbo." This guy's like, "Oh, you like wine? Oh, you actually yeah. spent time to." He like, "I respect you, Columbo." Before. Yeah he gets arrested yeah he did yeah so i think that's that's like my favorite one it was of my a weird favorites. episodes um but one of the things that i've been thinking about music wise is i've been listening a lot to um mac miller's circles do you know that um no it was the last rap it, yeah well this is it's not really rap honestly um, it's more of just hip hop and I only been listening to these two songs from the album and it's, it was released, uh, after his death. Um, but this, the title track circles and good news, I recommend you listen to one or both of those songs. Um, All right. I'll give it a little listen to first off. Good news is really sad because it, especially now that he's dead, uh, it talks a lot about, um, not death in particular, but just like being burned out. Um, yes. And it's, it's really, it's really powerful. He's now burned that he's, out at 20, what, 25? No, I think he was older than that. But not being burnt out, but just like, I don't know, just listening to the song. 
Um, huh. I'll have to give and, it a little uh, ear listen. Yeah, I've just been listening to those two songs for the past two days. Um, Are you depressed? Because no, no, like... no, no, no. It's not a. It's. It's. I don't know. It's. It's. It's honestly. It's like angelic in a way. It's. It's. I don't know. It's. It's just comforting to hear someone really trying to struggle with something inside of them. And I, I think that's what this song is like. I don't like most of his songs because I feel like a lot of his songs and a lot of just modern music in general with like rap and hip hop just talks a lot about how big someone's some big someone's penis is or like mm. just getting ladies or just like things that it's like I I get if it's like a good if it's a catchy song or something I would listen but like in general I'm not really that interested but this is it just feels like he's like really really trying to dig in and find something out about himself and I really love songs that it seems like they're like thinking through things through the song like strawberry fields forever like that's like the classic og reference like john lennon's just trying to think about something um i don't know i really well, like it um i don't have any music but uh i think i'm going to be watching uh, age of innocence by martin scorsese that's on criterion channel oh. and it's a martin scorsese movie uh, i try to watch all my favorite director's movies you know just so i can be like oh i heard that one's not good i also you may be referencing i think uh scott ackerman said it wasn't good no there was a there's a video that ranked all of scorsese's films and on youtube and it was like number two some people are like the second lowest some people like uh kunda you know so, and that's what I always thought was his worst. Like, I haven't seen it, but Kunda, Kunda it's about uh, the Buddha, or like the rise of the Buddha. It's a, it's a movie nobody really even knows he made. It's, I it's, didn't even know it's just like, it's the movie that people say, ooh, that's his stinker. But apparently it has some really nice shots. Yeah, it was Roger Deakins. Yeah. So that and also bringing out the dead with nicholas cage like those are movies people are like what he did that Oh, i heard that's a good one i started watching it it actually feels a lot like taxi driver um <laughs> but like with a kind of more cartoonish feel to it anyways i think we're running out of time yeah i think so too all um, right stay safe everybody right. um stay clean spider-man <laughs> bye bye